This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you guys. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 uh, this morning. If you are new today, we have been walking through uh, one of the greatest books of the Bible, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And a couple of weeks ago, we entered into a new section of Romans, really chapters 12 through 16 really form the last unit of Romans because in Romans 1 through 11, uh, Paul has been talking about the incredible mercies of God that have been showered upon us in the gospel. And then in chapters 12 through 16, he's talking about how we live out those mercies that we have received in, in Christ. So we're talking about transformed thinking today, and we're going to see that in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12, but I actually want, to, want us to read verses 1 through 12. Um, thanks for praying for me last week. I was preaching in revival at Hillcrest Baptist Church. So thankful for Miguel in preaching in my stead. I was able to go back and, and see his sermon actually on our church app this week, and what a rich exposition he gave from 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and that just reminds me to encourage you. A lot of times when you, when you hear a message you don't get everything down and, you know, it's just helpful sometimes to go back and, and listen to them again, even if you were here. Um, and so I encourage you, there's like 10 different ways now that you can listen to or watch uh, all the Sunday morning messages in our church. And so use the app or, you know, you can use the website or a CD or the podcast or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, don't feel like, you know, you've got it if you don't get every single note or point um, in the message. And I say that because there's a lot of, if you're a note taker, there's a lot of notes today. <laughs> Be ready. Um, but uh, if you don't get it all down, there's always ways you can go back and listen and, and watch uh, again. So let's, let's look at Romans 12, and we're going to begin with verse 1. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the author of God's Word as we look at the Scripture together. <clears throat> Romans 12, and beginning with verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now pay attention to this, because in verses 3 through 8, he's talking about what that looks like. What does a renew, how does a renewed mind think? How to transform minds think. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You may be seated. Oh, Father, what a beautiful picture here we see of, of renewed minds and the, and the way that you have called us to, to use our minds. And we see here what, what transformed thinking looks like in regard to ourselves, in regard to the church, in regard to the spiritual gifts that you've given us to build up the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would deal with us and in, in, in our hearts and, and instruct our minds right now that our thinking would glorify you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have seen uh, this famous work of art. Um, it's the sculptor Rodin's masterpiece, The Thinker. And this man is obviously deep in thought, and the sculpture raises lots of questions because it's natural for us to, to, to ask, you know, well, what is he thinking about? Like, what is going through his mind? And as we just read in, in verse 2, Paul, the, the Word of God calls us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And then in verses 3 through 8, Paul is talking about what that looks like. How do renewed minds, spirit-renewed minds think? How should we think about ourselves? How should we think about the church, the body of Christ? How should we think about spiritual gifts? Let's talk about that today. First of all, we see here transformed thinking about ourselves. And we see that in verse 3. Let's look at it together. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul says here, first of all, that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And the, the Greek word that's translated here is more uh, highly. Uh, you, could, you, could, uh, you could even translate it as, as super. In other words, don't, don't super think about yourself. You, you could, it, could be, it could be translated actually as, as hyper. Don't get hyper about yourself. Yeah, back in the 60s when... The NFL, when the, the AFC and the NFC merged to form the, the National Football League, they, they had to come up with a final championship game. And so they, they kind of took it from the world of college football where you have bowls at the end of the year. And of course, the, you know, the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl, they'd been around for decades. So they had, the NFL had to come up with, you know, another kind of a bowl that would just sort of uh, express just the, the, the huge inflated nature of this game. Well, of course, they came up with the Super Bowl. Paul is saying here that we, we tend to get to, we tend to super think about ourselves. <laughs> we get inflated about ourselves in our thinking. We get hyper about ourselves. And really, it takes two forms. We tend to think too much of ourselves, and we also tend to think of ourselves too much. 
And so he says here, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, right? Because this is so, this is all of us. To everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Why does Paul find the need to to say this? It's because he knows that this is so deeply ingrained in our sin nature. Every single one of us is so subject to self-focused pride. What a way to begin our service today with Psalm 115.1. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Because in our sin nature, we tend to be such glory seekers for ourselves. And it's expressed in in inflated and, and puffed up thinking about ourselves. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus poured out his blood for puffed up sinners like you and me. And then he says in verse three, he says, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but what? But to think with sober judgment. So in other words, in, in, with a renewed mind, we move from super thinking about ourselves to sober thinking about ourselves. From hyper thinking about ourselves to humble thinking about ourselves. But, but how does that happen? How do we become more humble in our, our thinking? Look at this last phrase here in verse 3. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned The British New Testament scholar Charles Cranfield points out that the word here that's translated in the ESV as measure can be translated as standard, each according to the standard of faith that God has assigned. So what is that standard by which we should think of ourselves? Is it by comparing ourselves to others? Is that the standard? No. Is it by our own sort of subjective thoughts about ourselves? No. No, the standard is Christ. Christ is the standard that should guide the way that we think about ourselves. It's interesting, when Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and he's telling them the same thing, I I want you to to be humble in the way that you think about yourselves and humble in the way that you relate to one another, what does he tell them? He points, to, he points to Christ, right? Listen to the words of Philippians 2, 3 and following. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, this mind, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the only human being who's ever lived, who who would have had reason to be puffed up about himself, poured out himself, humbled himself for you and me. Christ is the standard. The gospel is the standard that that helps us to think rightly about ourselves and humility. 
So he talks here about transformed thinking about ourselves. Second, transformed thinking about the church. Transformed thinking about the body of Christ. Let's look at verses four and five together. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. What a beautiful statement here about the church, about the body of Christ, about its unity. First of all, look at verse 4 again. For as in one body, one body, we have many members. So just like in our physical bodies, our bodies are made up of many parts, but those many parts form one body. That's the way it is in the church. Many members, but listen, there's only one body, and our oneness in Christ, our unity, is to be cherished and guarded. You know, Jesus, the night before he goes to the cross and the, the high priestly prayer in John 17, prays for the church, prays for all those who will one day believe in him, prays for you and me, prays for this church. And what does he pray? It's John 17, 20 and following. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Listen, the, the world desperately needs to see a united church and Christians loving one another. Jesus says that you, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, by your, your unity. And so we see here in, at the beginning of verse 4, the church's unity. And then in the latter part of verse 4, in the beginning of verse 5, we see its diversity. What else does he say here? He says, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in, in Christ. So in our bodies, right, we've got, it's one body, but yet you've got different parts that are doing different things, and there's a wonderful diversity in the body. There's a football coach who took a, a football and, you know, kind of, a, kind of an oval-shaped ball and he wanted to make a point to his team and so he had an artist to draw an eyeball on the on the football to make the football look like an an eye and he said to the guys on his team he said guys what, what if your girlfriend looked like an eye you know would you really like that you know you take her out to dinner there's a big old eyeball sitting across from you no because it's like a the a, a body without diversity is a monstrosity right what makes the body beautiful is its diversity that's the way it is in the body of Christ, right? The diversity of the body of Christ. All these different people, different backgrounds. We grew up in different kinds of homes, different kinds of uh, parents. We've, we've been given different uh, temperaments. 
We've been given different uh, spiritual gifts, as we're going to talk about in a moment. We come from different ethnicities and, and races and backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds. All, these, all this incredible diversity, but one body. And see, that's what makes it beautiful. The diversity of, of the one body just, just, just makes it all the more glorious and beautiful all together for one reason. Because of the gospel. Because of Jesus. So we see the unity of the church. We see the diversity of the church. And then in the latter part of verse 5, we see the mutuality of the church. Because what does he say here in verse, in verse 5? Says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And here it is. And individually, members one of another. Members one of another. And so we are linked together. There's a mutuality here. We impact one another. Just like the parts of a physical body impact the other parts. Yeah, the, the Yankees have this guy, Aaron, Aaron Judge, incredible young, young player. But, you know, a couple of months ago, he was at bat and he got hit on, this, on, on the wrist by a pitch. Tiny little bone here in his wrist, but it fractured that bone. So here's this huge hulking guy and he's, he's out of the lineup for two months because of one little part of the body. And not only that, but his absence from the lineup impacted a whole team. That's, that's the way it is, that's the way it is in the church. Paul is say, saying here, we're, we're individually members one of another. And so we all, all the different parts of the body impact the other parts. You impact, as a part of this local church, you impact the rest of this church. You impact the rest of this church by your presence. There's a ministry of presence just showing up, just by being here. And so listen, I understand, sometimes life takes us out of town or whatever, but we don't ever want to casually miss worship. Because it's not just about us. No, we need the word of God and we desperately need to be in worship for ourselves. Yes, but it's not just about that. No, you impact other people. Just your presence, just you being here. Your presence being here to encourage others. You're impacting other people. Your presence makes an impact. Your giving makes an impact. Right? We're not here just to be consumers of ministry. We're here to be contributors to ministry. And so if, 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 you're, if you let down on, give, on your giving, your tithes and offerings, that impacts the rest of the body of Christ. You impact this church by your ministry. Your ministry. As you, as, you, as you pour into the life of the church and you seek to impact others by ministering to them, you're impacting the whole body. And if you pull back from that, your church misses that. They, misses that. they miss that from you because we're linked together. We're members one of another. There's a mutuality to this. So transform thinking about the church. Third, transform thinking about spiritual gifts, about spiritual gifts. 
Let's look at verses 6 through 8 together. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this is one of several spiritual gift lists in the, in the epistles. Uh, they're all different. They mention uh, different gifts. They're not all named here. And I'm not sure that, that any of them are meant to be exhaustive. In other words, I don't know that any of the, of the gift lists that we see in the New Testament are, are, are making the attempt to name every single spiritual gift. And, and really, when you think about the gift list, I think in a, in a way, one helpful way to think of them is that each gift is sort of like a heading that can, take, that can manifest itself like in hundreds of, of forms. But he mentions um, seven of them here, and we're going to walk through them in just a moment. But before we do that, I want us to think about just some principles, some general principles in regard to to how we should think rightly about about spiritual gifts. These are kind of guidelines, guidelines for spiritual gifts. First of all, all of us as believers have one or more gifts. Of them. If you have been born again by the Spirit of God, then you have been given one or more spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. Let's look at verse 6 again. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So the word grace is charis. And the, the gifts here are charismata. They are grace gifts. And so if you've been born again by grace, then you have been given one or more grace gifts, spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. So all of us have, all of us have them as believers. Second... <laughs> All of us already use them. (laughs) What else does he say here in verse 6? He says, having having been given these gifts, let us what? Use them. (laughs) These are not shelf gifts. (laughs) These are spiritual gifts. They are to be deployed to build up the body of Christ. Third, I think we have to be careful about over-specification and pigeonholing when it comes to spiritual gifts. And I say that because I think that in many, if not most of us, there is a blend. There's a blending of, of gifts. It's kind of like a, a good bag of coffee beans. <laughs> there, there, it's usually a blend. It comes from different countries and, and all the beans are kind of blended together. I think in most of our lives, uh, there's usually a blending. There's some overlap of, of spiritual gifts. So it's, we have to be careful about over-specification or pigeonholing. Another principle is that we discern our spiritual gifts through serving in the church. I'm really not a fan 
of sort of spiritual gift um, inventories. I, I don't think we discern spiritual gifts like we take a Myers-Briggs test or something. I, I think we're much more likely to discern our spiritual gifts by rolling up our sleeves and getting involved in the body of Christ. Just, just seeking to be helpful with a willing spirit, seeking to serve, seeking to be a blessing in the body of Christ. And then over time, the spirit of God will help us discern how he has gifted us and how we can be especially fruitful in the body of Christ. But let's take a look um, at these seven gifts that, that Paul mentions here in verses 6 through 8. The first one <clears throat> that he mentions here is prophecy. And he mentions that at the end of verse 6. He says, if, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, when you think about the New Testament gift of prophecy... Uh, it does not mean that God is going to raise up Jeremiah's and Isaiah's and Ezekiel's and Hosea's uh, in this church that are given direct revelation from God to be written down in scripture. That's how cults start. <laughs> That's how heresies start. That's Mormonism, okay? That's Joseph Smith saying that, hey, I've been, I'm a prophet and I've been given this revelation and I'm going to add on to the Bible and the Book of Mormon and, and, and all of that. So when you see this mentioned in the New Testament, that's not what he's talking about. Um, he says, if prophecy, let us use it in proportion to our faith, which is really the faith, <laughs> the faith once for all delivered to the saints that is recorded in the Bible. And so prophecies have to be tested according to uh, scripture. And so what he's talking about here, though, in the church are words, words of edification that can be used to convict or to build up the body of Christ. So the, the gift of prophecy is related to teaching or preaching, but it can be different than that. Um, it might not necessarily be a teacher or a preacher, but someone who's, who's given words by the Spirit to, to, that are in line with Scripture to, to edify the body of, of Christ. Service. Verse, verse 7, he says, if service, in our serving. This is the same word as the word diakonos, is where we get the word deacon from, but it's not talking here just about the office of deacon. It's talking about anybody in the church that is sort of serving in a way that's behind the scenes. And that includes a wide variety of ways to serve, doesn't it? Um, it's, it's interesting, in, in 1 Peter 4, Peter kind of divides uh, spiritual gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts. He says in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So Peter seems to be saying here that there are, there are speaking 
gifts that are of a more public nature, preaching or teaching or whatever. And then there are serving gifts that are more behind the scenes. You, know, we, you think, about, think about a play or something. You go to like a, a Broadway play or something and uh, you, know, you, see, you see the lights come up and there's actors out on stage and people are acting and singing and doing very public roles. But then in between scenes, it, it, everything goes dark and you don't, you don't see anything up on stage. You may hear some just muffled shuffling around on stage for, for a minute, um, but then after that, poof, lights come back up, and there's a brand new set, <laughs> brand new props, brand new people. Well, how did that happen? It's because you have people that are working behind the scenes, usually dressed in black, <laughs> so you can't see them. And, and they're behind the scenes, and they're serving, and they're getting everything ready so that those who have more public roles can, can do what they're called to do. And so listen, in the church, if, if you didn't have people who are, are, are quiet servants, people who are maybe not necessarily uh, you know, have gifted to like be public speakers or whatever, if you didn't have people who were behind the scenes just quietly, humbly serving, the church would grind to a screeching halt. And so if God has given you a gift that's maybe it's not you know really an out front type of gift but just different ways that you can serve and be a part of things listen that is absolutely crucial in the body of Christ so if your gift is service use it in your serving and that includes so many different ways that you can be a blessing to the body of Christ um third teaching teaching um, I think which would include preaching. Pre- preaching should definitely involve, involve, uh, involve teaching. So that will be included in, in that. Um, but oh, how this is needed in the body of Christ. Um, yeah, as, as, as an IMB trustee, just kind of looking at the way, that the state of the church around the world. I mean, one of the biggest challenges in the global church is that there is such a lack of teaching. And in a, in a lot of countries, there, there are preachers who don't have access to solid uh, biblical instruction and, and theological education. And if the pastors don't have that, that impacts the churches so adversely in, in those nations. And so listen, teachers are needed so badly in the global church to to instruct other teachers and teachers are needed in American churches as well because there's a lot of bad doctrine floating around in America. And so teachers are people who can, can, can handle the word of God, who are students of the word of God and who pour into the word of God and who can rightly divide the word of truth. James says not many of you should, should be teachers because they'll be held to, to stricter account. But if you are called to teach, then pour into the word of God and use your gift. Churches here and abroad need solid teaching of the word of God. And then exhortation or encouragement. Uh, verse eight, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the word here is parakaleo. It means one who comes alongside. It's where John in the Gospel of John gets the word he uses for the Holy Spirit, paraclete. And so uh, this is someone who, who comes alongside and encourages. Virginia Tech fan need, fans need an encourager today, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, and ODU fans don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, right? Think with sober judgment. <laughs> but listen, an, an encourager, right, is one who comes alongside, right? And, and, and it may not even necessarily be words. It might just be an arm around someone's shoulder. But uh, people who are especially uh, gifted to, to lift others up. And, and again, this may take different forms. I think about Charles Spurgeon, for instance, who was obviously a gifted teacher. But, you know, when I read Spurgeon's devotional morning and, and evening, I, I use that each morning, this man had an incredible gift of encouragement. I mean, he's just able to, 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 to lift people up. Barnabas, in the book of Acts, was called a son of encouragement. Uh, we need encouragers in the body of, of Christ. And then giving or generosity, verse 8. says the one who contributes in generosity. And so listen, um, just like all of us are called to be encouragers, all of us are called to give. I mean, the Bible teaches that, that every believer should be a giver. I think the Bible teaches tithing, that we should, should give a tenth of our income as our tithe to our local church. Listen, if, if that was required of the poorest Israelite in the Old Testament, then how should we as people in the, in the, in the new covenant think about giving? We should not want to give less than what the poorest Israelite gave under the old covenant. We, we have so many more blessings in, 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 in the gospel. So listen, I think tithing is a biblical thing for all believers and then to give, to give offerings beyond the tithe, you know, to special missions causes, to Lottie Moon, or to a building fund, or, you know, or, 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 or whatever. And so listen, that's not like a special category of super Christians that are called to do that. That's discipleship 101. But, but there are people that are especially adept at, at seeing needs and especially moved to meet those needs through their generosity. And the word here for, um, for generosity really comes from the, the root of it means is single. In other words, to give with a single eye to the glory of God. And if we've been especially blessed by the Lord financially, which <laughs> when you think about our country, <laughs> like we may not think of ourselves as wealthy, but believe me, compared to like 99% of the rest of the world, most of us sitting in this room would be considered incredibly wealthy. Well, the Bible says to whom much is given, much will be required, right? We're called to be stewards and to give generously of what God has given to us, and, and the more especially blessed that we are, the more of an expectation that there is to give generously, to build up the body of Christ. Leading, leading, verse 8, he says, the one who leads with zeal. So the word here for leads means one who presides. Again, I, I think just like uh, when you think about elders or pastors, you know, 1 Timothy 3 says they should be able to teach. So I think if you're a pastor, you should certainly have a, a teaching gift. Think again, if you're, if you're in that kind of position in the church, 
then you know you should have at least some some gifts of, of leadership. But 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 many of us are called to lead in ways just beyond being a pastor. Different areas to, to, that God has called us to, to to lead that can be an incredible blessing to other people. But He says if if we if if, if we are in a position of presiding of leading, let us do that how? With zeal. In other words, with enthusiasm. If you're, if you're a leader and, and you're not passionate and you're not enthusiastic, then the people you're supposed to be leading are not going to have that either, right? And so um, as, as leaders, we should monitor the spiritual temperature of our own lives and lead with passion and zeal and enthusiasm. And then mercy, Verse 8, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now again, every believer is called upon to show mercy. (laughs) But there are some of us who are especially drawn to the hurting, the vulnerable, um, people who are in, in some sort of need. I mean, you, you find your heart just especially just drawn out in mercy towards those people. There's people sitting here who, who have that, that gift of mercy. And he says, if that's your gift, then do that with cheerfulness. <laughs> this, 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 people who are hurting need someone like you to bring some sunshine into their lives. Do it with cheer. Now see, look, think about this whole portrait, everything we've been talking about. So, so all of these, all these spiritual gifts are meant for what? For the building up, the edification of the body of Christ. They don't make any sense whatsoever apart from the church. And so the whole presumption here is that these believers that he's writing to are a part of a local church. But he says, don't just be a member of a local church. Seek to build up your local church. Cherish your local church. Serve in your local church in the way that God has gifted you to to do so. Just imagine now you hear the old expression in the church, you've heard it, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But just, just imagine if the body of Christ is, is functioning the way that it should. And you've got a bunch of people who are, who are there who are saying, nah, I'm not here for what I get out of this. No, I'm here to give of myself. I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, and that means that I want to offer myself to the body of Christ to help build it up and strengthen it and edify it. So here's the question. Have you unwrapped your spiritual gifts? And are you using them to build up the body of Christ? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the, the body that you've given us here at First Baptist, Lord. Thank you for the, the good things that you were doing in the life of, of our church. Lord, we thank you for our unity. We thank you for our diversity. We thank you for our, our mutuality. Lord, um, 
when we when we think about just the, uh, people that are just so so alone, so disconnected in our culture, and when we think about the fact that you have given us such a family, a family of brothers and sisters uh, to be a part of, Lord, we we want to just cherish that. And Lord, we're here together uh, for one reason, and that's because of you. That's because of the gospel. That's because of the redemption that we have experienced in, in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how, despite our many sins and just our, our self-focused pride and the way that we can be so self-centered and so, uh, so full of ourselves and our thinking, that Jesus died for sinners like us, that he poured out his blood for puffed up sinners like us. So Lord, help us to look to Jesus for renewed thinking. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that needs to look to Jesus for salvation. So we just continue to pray right now. That could be you. I don't know the background of everybody in this room, but I know in a crowd this size, I know there are people here that need to turn to Jesus. Oh friend, he loves you. The Bible says that he shows his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His blood has been poured out on a cross for sinners like you and me. He took all of our sin, all of our stupid pride and all of our inflated thinking and all of our sins of ego and all, of, all those things, all of our sin, Jesus took upon himself, bore our sins on the cross, was raised from the dead that sinners like us can have new life. And he offers it as a gift, but it's a gift that we must receive and we do that through repentance and faith, turning and trusting, turning to Jesus and trusting in him. I wanna invite you to do that right now if you never have. Repent and believe, say, Lord, I turn. I turn from trying to do this life in my own way and I'm turning to you as my Lord, my savior, my, my king, I'm no longer in control. I want you to be the king of my life. And I believe, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose. And I wanna welcome you into my life right now. Father, we thank you for that incredible invitation that you give us. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit that you would open hearts to respond to that incredible good news. And we ask it in Jesus' name. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. 
Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I wanna invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.